We are the Unshakables. Good morning, man. You may um, think that we're kind of unique church this morning, uh, but we are so glad that you're here with us uh, celebrating these baptisms. My name is Ben Chapman. I the lead pastor of this church and have the opportunity to speak to you this morning, speak with you this morning. I should say we're in a series called Unshakables, and it's just the unshakable truths of God, the, the 12 foundation blocks of our life that we think are so important, so vital. If you want to more know more about what those are, more in-depth, then you can visit the Purple Table and grab a purple book right after service, and it's free. A free purple book for you to grow in the things of Jesus, and that's our gift, uh, our investment into you so that you can grow in your knowledge of Jesus. I'm excited today to talk about the unshakable family. The unshakable family is what we're going to talk about today, and we are family. Look around to your left and to your right. Believe it or not, you're family, and, uh, and I know a lot of you don't believe it because that person to your left or right looks nothing like you. And that's what makes Christianity and what God has done so amazing and so valuable. And I hope um, through scripture that this would be explained. But what I want to talk about this morning is I want to just talk about how relationships can quickly be lost or relationships. This concept of family is uniquely um, different than maybe your experience as you grew up. How many of you all grew up in a family? Right? We all grew up in a family. And our definition of family is derived from the experience in that family, isn't it? And so however you grew up, whether you grew up in a good family, a bad family, an abusive family, an encouraging family, that is your definition. And as a result, our definitions of family may differ. They may differ. But I want to encourage you today that God has designed a unique definition of family that I think is so vital for us. And in an age of technology, relationships are pretty hard, aren't they? And, and if families are to exist, they have to, they have to come about and have to have conversation. They have to be conversational. They have to rub shoulders. They have to be in proximity. They have to do life with one another, as we should say, that we're better together. But with technology, it's made it a lot easier for us not to be in the same room, hasn't it? made it a lot easier, and therefore, we find that our conversations um, may not be the depth that we once understood. I remember growing up that you actually had to dialogue about your philosophies and your theology and, and the way that you would parent and the way that you would do money, talk about money and the way that you would do life. You would have to have a dialogue, but now we do it through text message, and we do it through social media platforms, and we get to edit and make it sound just right and just perfect. And what I found out is my fluidity of speech has actually been hampered by the fact that I've been moving into the technological atmosphere, right? So I, I find myself, man, I have nothing to say when, when I'm with someone. You ever seen a bunch of, like, youth students? You know, I'm so thankful Keaton's leading our youth. They had a God's Not Dead night up here and watched that. It was really cool and all that. Um, but, but youth students won't talk in the same room. They all sit there on their phone, and there's no conversation happening. They've, like, lost the ability to use words verbally. And I found out it's not just youth, but I'm doing that. And my parents are doing that. And my grandparents are doing that. And so it's not a generational thing. It's the sign of the times. It's, it's what's happening today. And so we have these fabricated relationships. Oh, oh, we think they're real. We think they're amazing. We... We think they're awesome. We think, you know, the person on the other end of, of Halo is my best friend, right? Because, you know, but, but there's something about proximity that I think is so 
valuable for us. Something about being together in the same room, something about hanging out with one another. And if we aren't careful in this um, technological season and era, and I'm not harping all that because I think it's good. It's connected people who haven't connected. It's connected um, kids found their parents and were reunited. And there's so many great, great things. But I don't want to be deceived. It's like this. My my son has this video game. I promise we're getting to scripture. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 if you want to turn there. Well, my son has this video game, and it's, it's this guy who is obese, and you get to work him out and, like, train him and stuff. And if you don't do it every day, then, you know, he, he continually um, becomes unhealthy, right? Well, I find myself, man, I can sit there and play that game, right? And I'm like, oh, dude, look at all this weight I'm losing. Oh, man, I'm eating good now. And then I look in the mirror, and I'm like, what happened? Anybody else? What happened? I, I thought I had a good thing going. I thought I was working out and all that stuff. It, it reminds me of that in, in an avatar society, we can quickly think that we have these in-depth relationships. But we may not have the depth that God has designed for us. In Genesis chapter 2, you know it so well. God made things and they were good. Made plants, they were good. Made light, it was good. Made darkness, it, it was good. He um, made the seas and the land and the, and the sky and everything else. And it was good. It was good. It was good. God's nature um, through the creation process is good. Everything was good. But there was one thing that was not good. And in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about it in verse 18. It is not good that man should be alone. This is not good. It's not good because it's a violation of God's character. You see, God's character is is the trinity, perfect unity and perfect community within himself. And that's what he's designed for you and me, that we would have perfect unity and community and that we would be together. And it's not good for us to be alone. God doesn't want lone wolves. He doesn't want people to isolate themselves and he doesn't want them to walk alone. He has brought us together in the process that we call the church. The church. And I want to explain what Jesus' church is this morning. First off, I know that Jesus is building the church. He's building the church, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Our old pastor, uh, Russ Austin, a phenomenal man, he, he had this picture that he saw one time at a gallery, and it was of a um, war-torn town. Everything was bombed, and everything was obliterated, and there was only one thing that stood, and only one thing that was pristine, that was set apart, and it was a church. And on this poster, on this picture, it, it, it inscribed this verse, that the gates of Hades will not prevail, that in the storms of life, in the accusations, in the storms of your family, in the storms of your job, in the storms of school, in the things that come against you and bombard you and try to destroy you and rip you apart, the one thing that's going to last will be the church. The church is going to last. This earth will fade away. Everything else will fade away. But the church will last, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. That is such good news that, that Satan's not going to win. And when you want to throw in the towel and you want to give up, and you want to get out of the ring, you got to know that you're going to be victorious. 
Because Jesus has made his church victorious. C.S. Lewis writes this. He works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, God, he works on us through each other. Through one another. You ever experience any conflict in your life? Yep, those who married, <laughs> snickered. Right? Conflict will emerge. It's going to happen. But through conflict, God is working on you. Through conflict with one another, God is bringing about holiness and wholeness. God is doing this. This is what God's plan. The church, first off, is the community of Jesus. If you're taking notes, the first thing it is, is the community of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is what you are in him. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are a people being built together by God. Now, some of you don't like that already because you have a lot of pride. God ain't going to build me. God's not working on me. But I want to tell you, your pride is keeping the body, the temple, the church from being what it's supposed to be. Your isolation is the block that he wants to take over here and move it in with everyone else. In 1 Peter 2.5, you, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a Lego. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're a Lego too. Right? We're all Legos. And I love Legos. We're all little blocks. We're different colors, different shapes. We, we look different, but we all fit together. We all fit together. And I want to tell you something. that That's the church. It's different colors, different blocks, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different races, different ages, different cultures, different um, lifestyles, different pieces. We're all blocks, and we are meant to fit together. And we fit together perfectly. Did you know that? All Legos fit together perfectly. That's why I love Legos. The Legos, when I was eight years old, like two decades ago, almost three, still fit together with the blocks that are made today. Did you know that? And the church is the same way. So look to your left and look to your right, and you notice that people don't look like you, right? Thank God. Right? People don't look like you. They look different, and that's good because that's the church. And if we were to go to a church where everybody looked like Ben Chapman, first off, that wouldn't be a very good-looking church, but it would be fun. Lots of fun. And if I found somebody who was not fun, uh, somebody with a different personality, you know, that, that type A personality, you know, the C on the disc test who is worried about the details and the long emails and they're long-winded and you're like, can we ever get through this story? Come on. Right? If we don't have that person, 
We're not complete. We're missing something. That's why I've never longed to be a church, never longed to be a part of a church that's not built. With everybody who's the same, we want people to be built differently from different backgrounds. So diversity is a value of ours that we hold so true in so many ways. We have people who are red in here and people who are blue. You don't like each other out there. But guess what? Jesus has joined you together. He built you together. And that's hard. It starts ripping us. It starts making us uncomfortable. It starts making me want to kind of bounce out on it. I'll never forget, we had this couple come to our church for the first time. They're, they're a little older couple with some elementary kids, and they came in, and they were nervous because <laughs> there's all these young people, and there's all these ethnicities, and there's all this stuff happening, and people are hugging each other, and it's like super weird, and we're doing loud baptisms, and we make everybody stand and yell, and that's weird. That's uncomfortable. That's not church. It's not the church I grew up in. The church I'm a part of, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable for me, and I'll never forget, I'm so uncomfortable. That's what they told me. I'm so uncomfortable there. I go, that's good. Because that's one thing that needs to die. That's the thing that's left, still alive, still festering, still in you, that just needs to die, and you need to die to it, and God wants to do something through you. It's hard to walk with people like that. It's hard to walk with people with different political parties and different philosophies. It's challenging. It's not easy. I'm going on a rant right now, man. I just want to know. I just want to let you know it's not easy. It's not easy. When I see Facebook posts from people who don't think like me, it's not easy. But God has called us to it. That's what He has joined together. It's His church. He's building us together for a purpose. For a purpose. The purpose is this. Secondly, if you're taking note, the church is the ministry of Jesus. It's not your ministry. It's not my ministry. It's the ministry of Jesus, and that's why we're here today. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not consuming their trespasses against them not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us reconcile that's what he's doing he's reconciling he, he reconciled. That means that, that people are separated. People are set apart. He, he's bringing them back into relationship. Anytime there's offense with God because of our choices and our unholiness and our desires and our sin, God is constantly drawing us back to himself, reconciling us. And he's given you, everybody say me, the ministry of reconciliation. What's my purpose, pastor? What's my ministry? Reconciliation. It's to reconcile those to one another that the community, the church would be built up and unified, completely unified in all things, that we'd be unified in Jesus who is all things. 
That's what he has called us to do. That is our hope. That is why he has written this. And it's something that we need to step into, the ministry of reconciliation. But pastor, pastor, I, I don't like my boss. But pastor, I don't like that guy on Facebook. And I never see him anyway, so I can see whatever I want. No one knows. You know, you ever have like that celebrity thing where you start hating on celebrities? You know, it's like, it feels permissible, right? Like, I can hate on celebrities. They're not real people. <laughs> They're out there somewhere. Right? God has brought you reconciliation. He's brought you this fact that you need to minister to one another. And any offense that you have in this room with the person you're left or right, he's called you to reconcile. We're to be a church that reconciles. To bring each other together so that we would have the ministry of Jesus, which is worshiping God together, which is helping one another grow in relationship with God and reaching out to others who do not know God yet. That's the ministry of Jesus that he's given us. And I touched on this last week, but the third thing that the church is, it's a from me to we mentality, a me to we lifestyle. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what we're supposed to do when we meet together. This is the church. This is what he's called us to do. First off, consider. Everybody say consider. Consider one another. Have you ever been considerate lately? You're so inconsiderate, right? Consider one another. Think of each other. Be concerned with each other's needs and notice them. And I'm bad about this. Poor Cassie, I forgot her name. You know, I'm, such, I'm so bad at this, but, but we have to work on it. We're called to stir each other up, to stir up to each other up in love and good deeds. And so when you come in here and we see you, we're like, hey, man, how you loving? How you loving your wife? How you loving your kids? How you loving your neighbor? How you loving your coworker? How you loving the people in your school? How you loving them? Are you loving them, man? You need to love them. Let's love them. Come on, start stirring up. And for good deeds that we as a church have a social responsibility. We have a social responsibility to do good. Do you know that? Oh, Pastor, I thought it was all grace, you know. Well, you're making it works. Now we got to do something. I thought we didn't have to do anything. Yeah, you do out of response of grace. And we do good. So what we're doing a coat drive. We're doing a coat drive because kids don't have good, don't have coats. And we have to do good because we're socially responsible for the people in our community and the city that he's given us, the city that he's entrusted with us. So we have to do good. Meet together. <laughs> Meet together. We're meeting together right now, believe it or not. And when I see you every week, I'm able to see if you're discouraged or encouraged. I'm able to see how you're doing. I'm able to get your pulse. But when you come every third week, or the new average attendance in church is once every six weeks. I mean, I'm okay, right? Like, we leave room. Like, we darken the corners, you know, so you can sneak in. You know, we want you to sneak in, and we leave room in our 160-seat in our auditorium. <laughs> You can't go missed here. I'm sorry. 
And we leave room. We leave room for you and all that. But if you make it a habit of every six weeks, then the frequency of your meeting will not allow somebody to speak into your life because they don't know what's happening. They don't know what's going on. They don't know you. They don't know your name. And if you sit in the same place and you've been coming every week and no one knows your name, shame on everybody around them, around you. we got to meet each other. We have to hang out. We have to introduce ourselves. We have to try to remember, you know, who they are. I've always said that it's bad if you sit in the same seat every week. Y'all heard that? Like, man, you need to change it up. Man, you're in a routine. You need to get out of that routine if you're going to hear from God. But sometimes it's good. Sit in the same chair. That would be good. Then maybe you'll meet people around you, and they'll be the same people, and y'all can go to lunch and do life together and hang out and, and build something. Right? So someone that's good. Let's meet together. Let's be encouraging. I feel like I'm so discouraging right now. I feel like y'all are just getting slapped. Y'all looking at me. No, man. Encourage one another. Love one another. Man, be there for one another. And not just encourage out of your personality. Keith and I do that so well. We're positivity. Encourage out of the depths of your soul what the Spirit of God has put in you for somebody. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't have a personality preference. The Spirit of God doesn't have a personality preference when it comes to that. You can be encouraging. Did you know that? One another. One another is used over 100 times in the New Testament. One another. And God is saying something to us. That is, it's us. It's one another. The proverb says this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Where are we going as a church? So think about this church and we planted it. I'm so thankful for 200 plus people who have been coming in and out of these doors that we get to love and encourage and be together with and be these stones that make up a beautiful bride. But I want to let you know that there is 900,000 people who aren't in church. 42% of Bear County um, doesn't even acknowledge God. They are self-acclaimed agnostics. That, that's almost one out of two people. And so where are we going? We, we have to go with one another, but, but we're not going to leave anybody behind as we go. It's not about being the fastest or the fastest growth, but it's about going far together. That we'd be here and we'd build something that lasts so that the college students who come in here for four years would get baptized, discipled, and sent out to the nations, right? So that the kids entrusted to us would be pastored well and loved well, and they'd be sent out to the nations. So the parents and the families who are in the military who are here just for a season, that they would be pastored and shepherded and discipled and sent out well to the nations, God has called us to go far together. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to pray for you this morning. How many need help encouraging somebody? How many need help just lifting each other up? How many need help being a part of the church? How many need help reconciling when you come and you're around the people of God? Am I the only one? I'm the only one with like three people having their hand raised. Man, if you want prayer, lift your hands. Father, we love you. We praise you. Jesus, we need help being the church. 
Jesus, you're at the center of the church. You lead this church. You bring every tribe, tongue, and language to the church. God, that we are the bride that you are making so beautiful and so holy and so pure. God, I thank you for the holiness that you bring about. Jesus, I just pray that you would make us ministers of reconciliation. God, I pray no one get left behind. No one would go overlooked. That people would be loved and names would be remembered. And I pray that you would encourage us right now, Jesus. Encourage us to be the church. And Father, thank you so much that we win. That we win. That you've won. Father, we thank you for that. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.